Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity and the ones that are to follow it. At every turn, help us do something good with it. In your name we pray, amen. It's almost easier, isn't it, when things are a total mess? Because at least when things are a total mess, the problems are right there in front of you. And if you feel so inclined, you can start to address them. It gets much more complicated when everything looks good from all of the visible angles, because that means that in order to strengthen what you've got, you actually have to do some work, do some digging to figure out where things are that need to be addressed. So think of it this way. When a building is on fire, what do you do? Go, go back to elementary school. You stop, drop, roll, escape, hopefully. You know, you know when a building is on fire, when you are in crisis, you know that you have to move. You have got to do something because if you do not, you will likely die. But what about your smoke detector? How often do you really think about it? Do you only remember it when it starts beeping at you? In reality, if we want to be honest about it, we're here in church, so we should be, most of us will just wait until the actual fire occurs before we give any real thought to the smoke detector. And once the fire has started, just in case you have not watched the show This Is Us, once the fire has started, that is not the right time to go to the store to get the batteries for the smoke detector. And I start with this because there is an unsettling statistic that floats around in the larger church world that somewhere between five and 10,000 churches are closing their doors on an annual basis. Ours is not one of them. And while we could argue that statistic and tell great anecdotal stories about it and question its validity, one thing is absolutely certain. Churches do close. And as one of my most beloved seminary professors once said, and they probably should. And what he meant by that was that there are churches who have lost their way, who have abandoned a solid theology and compassionate mission, dedicated discipleship, and intentional evangelism. And those are churches that absolutely need to shut their doors and go do something else. Because you can be a most excellent nonprofit community partner. But if you are not laser focused on the saving and redeeming work of Jesus Christ in the world, it's not necessary then for you to call yourself a church. So as I said to you, ours is not a dying church. Quite to the contrary, we have been growing quite steadily for quite some time. Every year, our worship attendance continues to grow. Our participation in Bible study and discipleship has been consistently on an upward trajectory for almost a decade. Our mission ministry has been radically transformed into a ministry that involves the actual hands-on participation of people, not just check writing. And although we are by no means a wealthy congregation, we have gone nine consecutive years now where we have operated in the black. Half of those years were with zero debt. So with all of that good news, 
we might be tempted to just kick up our heels, thank the good Lord, and let things ride. Which is exactly why this is the right day and the right time to talk about this letter from Jude. There's a great debate among scholars as to who Jude exactly is. There are many who believe that he's the brother of James, which would make him the half-brother of Jesus. James, if you remember, was the head of the church in Jerusalem. So to have another church leader in the family, that, that's not really all that hard to imagine. This letter is written to an unnamed church or perhaps even a group of churches. So this is a letter that could easily, easily be written to the saints here at Kirkwood. And Jude starts by saying, I, Jude, am a slave to Jesus Christ and brother to James, writing to those, hear this, church, writing to those who are loved by God the Father, called and kept safe by Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, we are loved by God the Father. He's talking to us. The very foundation of who we are as a people of faith is rooted in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, so loved us, that he gave his only begotten son. And we are called and kept safe by Jesus Christ because the rest of John 3, 16 says that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you, do you hear that good news? Could there be anything safer and more secure than everlasting life? We are kept safe by Jesus Christ. And what that means is not that everything will always be perfect, but that whatever we face, we know ultimately Jesus has the power to overcome it. Which is why Jude writes, relax, everything's going to be all right. Rest, everything's coming together. Open your heart, love is on the way. We don't have to panic, we don't have to fear. God's got this, we are secure in Jesus Christ. In the more, trans in the more traditional translation, it's written, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. He is reminding us of what God has done for us. Mercy is God's compassion. Peace is his gift of quiet confidence in the work of Jesus. And his generosity is, is shown by the love that meets all of our needs. With that introduction, Jude quickly moves on to the meat of his letter. Dear friends, I've dropped everything to write to you about this life of salvation that we have in common. So what that means to me is that whatever it is that Jude was doing, probably some sort of what we consider to be ministry, although it was important, he dropped it. He dropped it so that he could write this letter. It's that important to him. I want you to think about those things in your life that you would drop everything for. For me, it's, it's sung, the kids, my mom, my grandmother, anything happens to any one of them, and of course, I'm gonna go running. It's that important. So the fact that Jude says that he dropped everything to write this letter means whatever it is that he's about to say to us is of major importance. And here it is. I have to write insisting, begging, that you fight with everything that you have in you for the faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. 
This is a call to action from Jude. We have been given this one very precious faith that has been handed down to us from generations, from the apostles, from the disciples, and ultimately, once and for all, from Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of salvation that Paul talks about in, in the book of Romans that's going to change lives forever. If there was anything of priceless value given to us, this is it. And Jude says, protect it. Cherish it, protect it. And so we are called to do just that, to guard and cherish it. And basically, that comes down to believing that the Christian faith cannot be changed. Its foundations and truths are non-negotiable. And this is not a conviction that Jude came to all by himself. It is shared by writers all over the New Testament. But what exactly are we supposed to be guarding it from? Because usually we're told, share the faith. Get it out there. You want that good word out, so what are we guarding it from? Well, what has happened, Jude says, is that some people have infiltrated our ranks. Our scriptures told us that this would happen, who beneath their pious skin are shameless scoundrels. Their design is to replace the sheer grace of our God with sheer license, which means doing away with Jesus Christ, our one and only master. Well, Jude is warning the church that there are going to be those who to undermine the work of Christ in the world. And sometimes those people make their way into churches. Now, why would that be a problem? There's lots of people in church. So what happens if just one or two get in? This is where apathy becomes a real issue. Jude is saying that these types of people are sneaky because they appear pious and holy, but underneath, they don't really have an interest in Jesus. They have an interest in themselves. They have an interest in their business and in doing what they want to do, but they don't have an interest in Jesus Christ. And when a church is apathetic or lazy, or this is the most dangerous of all, plain comfortable, they just will not see the urgency in being aware and of defending the faith against those who seek to lead people away from Christ. In the context of when Jude was writing this letter, it was very specific about it being people who would infiltrate the church and destroy it from within. And this still happens in modern churches, but that's not what's happening here in our church today, at least not that we are aware of. But yet, we still need to be just as vigilant about guarding and cherishing the faith that has been given to us. And that's why when the vision team was doing its work this summer, it became abundantly clear to every single one of us that discipleship always has to be the number one priority of the church. Because it's discipleship that roots us and grounds us in our faith and strengthens that connection to Jesus Christ. So if we are not, if we are not deepening that relationship, if we are not growing in the word, then a multitude of things, not just people, can weasel their way into our lives and hearts and destroy the faith that has been given to us in Jesus. So therefore, Jude's urgent message to us is that, that we are not personally engaged, which means each and every one of us individually. If we are not personally engaged in discipleship, we need to be right now. Discipleship can be Bible study, it can be Sunday morning 
education, a form of one-on-one -on -one accountability and encouragement. It can be a combination of all of those things. And for the entire church to contend for the faith means that pastors can't do that work on behalf of everybody else. There are three reasons that each one of us needs to be personally invested in discipleship. First, our own personal growth. Second, so that we are ready at a moment's notice to reach those who are lost. And third, so that we are prepared to pass down the faith to future generations. On a personal level, your faith is a marker of your relationship to Jesus. There is not a single person in this room who truly knows what your relationship to God is aside from you and the Lord. If that relationship matters to you, if you want it to grow and flourish, then you need to put time and effort into it. On a larger scale, each one of us is, is, need, needs to be prepared to be called upon to share the hope of our faith with the world. It would be extremely difficult for you to share a faith that you don't really have. And if you've ever met someone who is broken, who is without hope, there have been moments in your life where you have had the potential to reach them with the love of Christ. Every one of us needs to be ready for those moments. And then on the largest scale possible, we want to make sure that the generations that come after us are given a pure, unadulterated faith, the faith that has sustained the followers of Christ for over 2,000 years. This is a pressing and urgent issue for the church today. My parents grew up as the beneficiaries of a generation that believed in the urgency of passing on the faith. But when my parents had kids of their own, that urgency started to dissipate because Christianity had become so comfortable and so easy and so central to the lives of social communities. So by the time my generation reached adulthood, the faith had been so diluted that it was irrelevant. And when it became irrelevant, then it became an option. And once it became an option, my generation opted out. And so with my generation opting out, Children were growing up in a world where the good news of the gospel is more urgent than it has ever been since the early days of the church. We cannot assume that the next generation is going to inherit the faith by osmosis. One of the hardest things for the church in 2019 to understand is that when young adults, when young families show up to churches, regardless of how they are dressed, or how they behave, the mere fact that they have shown up at all speaks volumes to the deliberate decision on their part to urgently guard and cherish the faith, which I've got to be honest with you, often makes them super unpopular among their peers. So, if churches are serious about guarding and cherishing the faith, they are going to have to grow disciples who are going to go out into the world and make more disciples. Now, I don't believe that Kirkwood has a bunch of sneaky people running around trying to undermine the faith. 
But as we look at the other priorities of the vision team, we have to do so with eyes wide open, with an extraordinary awareness, not of people, but of actions that can undermine the work and mission of ministry in this congregation. Everyone who's been paying attention for any point in the last six months knows that we are running into a major space usage challenge. We are simply out of space for the well. There's nowhere else for us to go. The other two services are swimming in a sea of space. So nobody, nobody is being served well in our current situation. So we are gonna bring in an architectural design team that is going to work with us to give suggestions about how we can address these challenges. Anytime a church in the whole history of forever has ever talked about change, particularly as it relates to building and space, they have run a massive danger of subverting the work and ministry and faith of the church. I really believe that when the devil wants to get a stronghold to divide the church, he just calls up an architect and a construction crew and it's a done deal. My friends, I have spent years, years teaching this congregation that we are the church because of the people, never because of the building. Jesus gave sermons on the side of mountains and on the shores of the sea, and this is a discipleship issue. Our maturity as followers of Jesus Christ has to be rock solid so that we understand that that trumps anything else that we're gonna do on this side of glory, and that includes possibly having to change our space. People before property, always, always, always. If Hurricane Irma had hit this building, destroyed everything that we have on this entire property, I promise you, I promise you that Pastor Sung, Pastor Helen, myself, Paul, every elder, every vision team member would have been here the next Sunday morning standing in a pile of rubble and having church service because that's the priority. It is never, ever going to be property. So it is a discipleship issue. The other priority that the vision team has that is also second to discipleship is staffing. The decision to bring Pastor Sung on staff full-time was a decision that came out of nine years. Nine years of relationship. So there is not a person in the leadership of this church who doesn't believe wholeheartedly that Pastor Sung loves the Lord, loves this church, loves the people, and that he will do everything he can to fight for the mission and ministry that we have together. Our goal is to continue building on that team that you already know, that team that includes myself and Pastor Sung, Pastor Helen, Paul, and Carolyn, Sharon, Jonathan, and Kristen. And we have to be honest and say that we've had some rough hires the last couple of years. And every time we've had that, that has created distraction 
to our ministry and calling. And so you can bet that everyone is going to be extraordinarily careful in how we build the staff because we have learned that that is a major part of contending for our faith. This, too, is a discipleship issue. So Kirkwood is a healthy church. We have thriving ministries, growing attendance, innovative initiatives, vitality in the community. We are not perfect, no church is, but we are not a building on fire. Thanks be to God. My job, my job as the shepherd of this congregation is to protect you and guide you so that we can stay healthy and that we can contend for the faith that has been given to us. So for that reason, we're not going to get complacent. We are not going to wait until things are a total mess. We are not going to be twiddling our thumbs as the world goes by. We are going to be the congregation that's checking smoke detectors and laying foundations. We are preparing because we have something precious to give the world. And we are not about to let anything or anyone sneak up on us and deter us from this one amazing, holy mission to contend for the faith that was once delivered to us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your hand of protection upon this church. We thank you for the vision that you have given to us and for the visionaries that have brought it forward through the power of the Holy Spirit. We understand in a clear way that the church is the people and the people are called to be disciples. So be with us, not just on this day when we have our annual family meeting, but be with us in the years ahead as we guard and cherish the faith once delivered so that we can hand it over to the generation that comes after us in a robust and healthy way. In your name we pray. Amen.